bailiff stands up and says, who is there to bring a charge against, against Shane or a charge against Vivian? Well, it's not going to be God. God's the judge, and he has already declared us innocent through justification. It's not going to be God who speaks against you. All right, well, who's going to be the prosecuting attorney? Who's going to be the prosecuting attorney? Who's going to make the case against you? Well, it's not going to be Jesus. He says, in fact, Jesus is not your prosecuting attorney trying to put you on trial. It says here, Jesus is your defense attorney. He's standing in your defense making intercession for you, advocating for you. It's an amazing truth of of our judicial guilt before God being satisfied, not because we were innocent, but because Jesus was innocent and, and through some mystery he has applied his innocence to us even while taking our guilt upon himself. That, that's that, that great substitution that uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians 5 speaks about, that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. It, it, it's this trade of where Jesus, by which Jesus trades us our guilt for his innocence. And so he then stands before the Father, interceding for us, saying, look, I have paid the debt for him, for her, that sinner. I have paid it. So if God is for us, who can be against us? God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is there condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And I didn't put the, I didn't put the words on the scripture, but this is what leads Paul into this act of worship in Romans chapter 8, where he finishes the chapter by saying, it goes on from this, Christ Jesus is the one who is interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He goes on in verse 37 to say, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, I'm sure, I'm certain, I'm convinced that neither death nor life or angels or rulers or things present or things to come or powers or height or depth or anything else in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The judicial penalty of our is entirely paid for by Christ. Hallelujah. That's awesome. Amen. That, that is what we proclaim as Christians that's the good news. But if that's the case, why is it appropriate for us to pray daily, forgive us our sins? And the reason is that while our sins are all judicially forgiven when we come to Christ, there's still a relational impact of our sin. As children to a father, is addressed to Well, God no longer counts our sins against us in a judicial manner, relational consequences to our sin as God relates to us now as a father toward his own children. And it impacts our relationship with God. We no longer walk in tight and close intimacy with him as we are sinning against him. It affects our relationships with others as well. Like, why are you here today? What binds you together to the others who are sitting around you? There's not a lot that does. We're from different socioeconomic 
classes. We're from different ethnic backgrounds. We're from different countries. What binds you together with those who are sitting around you this morning? If not, the relationship, the love, the compassion, the grace that we have found in Christ together. And so when we break that relational intimacy with the Father, we often then break and, and walk out of fellowship with our brothers and sisters. When we lose the joy of our fellowship with God and with others, sorry, we lose the joy of the fellowship with God and with others. Look at how the Apostle John fellowship that we share with God and one another to joy. And this is in the context of that verse that Dylan read earlier today. The verse that spoke about if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to, 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 to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is in that context of daily confession. And look how he connects this fellowship we share with God and one, with one another. He says, that which we have seen and heard, Jesus, he's speaking of, that which we have seen and heard and we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. Deed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So, so John's writing to them, and he's speaking to them confession and saying, look, we want to be walking in relational intimacy with one another. Our, our, our hope is that we would have fellowship with all of you because our fellowship is ultimately with God. And these things we write to you that our joy may be complete. And he goes on to say, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. So if we are to say, so God is light, he is perfect, he is pure, he is holy. But if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, I love this, he doesn't just say we have fellowship with God, he says we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, is us from all sin. And, and that again, and I've, I've made this point, I think, every week in this series. That's why the Lord's Prayer is not individualistic. It's why we pray, forgive us our debts. As we pray, forgive us our debts, we pray as Christians in the understanding that there are relational consequences to our sin, and that we may continue to walk in sweet fellowship with God and with our brothers and sisters. There, there are consequences to our sin, guys. Like you know. You know when you have lost the joy of your salvation. Right? This is David saying. David in Psalm 51 speaks of this relational intimacy with God. And he says, he's, he's horrified to lose this. He says, cast me not away from your presence, O God. Take not your spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. David's prayer of confession is not concerned with the judicial aspects of sin. It's concerned with this relational aspects of sin and these things are obviously intertwined. Yet David longs for the joy of this intimacy with God. Now the link between the two 
The link between our intimacy with God and the intimacy with brothers and sisters stands behind the second part of this. Right? We don't just say, forgive us our debts. It goes on, right? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Right? For, that's a hard thing to pray. When you go daily before God, pray, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts. This is the first part in the Lord's Prayer that is speaking and requiring me. This is not just me asking God. This is actually reflecting on my own life as we also have forgiven our debtors. And Jesus established this link here uh, in Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, Peter comes up to him and he asks a very practical question, doesn't he? He asks a very practical question in Matthew 18. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? I mean, and take that. You hate it when people do the same thing to you again and again and again, right? So Peter's question, how, how often must I forgive my brother who will sin against me? Seven times? And Jesus says to him, no, I tell you, I don't say to you seven times, I say 77 times. And then he gives them this parable. And listen to the ridiculousness of this parable. I did the math. It's pretty ridiculous. He gives this parable. He says, therefore, Peter, how many times must you forgive your brother who sins against you? Peter, let me tell you a story. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, I did the math on this according to what a talent was understood to be in that day. This is more money than could be paid off in 3,000 lifetimes. Okay? This is 167,000 times what a normal person of that day would make in one year. <laughs> You're not doing it. You're not paying this off. This is, who's the richest guy in the world right now? Elon Musk, how much does Elon Musk have in his bank account? I, I, I've heard we're, we're getting close. I've heard we're getting close to reaching the trillionaire club. That we're not quite there yet. The market went kind of haywire last week. But I've heard that we're not too far away from there actually being on this planet a trillionaire club. Now imagine if Bill Gates, I don't know, Bill Gates or Elon Musk, who's got, what, $700,000, $800,000 in assets, Imagine if it was found out that Elon Musk does not actually have $800,000 in assets. He actually owes the bank $800,000. He took it out as a loan. Now, that's ridiculous, right? I, I think it's pretty ridiculous. How could you pay back $800 million? Did I say $800,000? That was ridiculous. It just means that my brain cannot even comprehend like, I can't, even, I can't even comprehend the numbers. And that's what Jesus is saying here. There's a man brought before the judge, right? This is the man who has a debt before the judge. And when he, when he began to settle, he was brought to him who owed him more money than you could make in 3,000 lifetimes. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, and this is ridiculous. Have patience with me. I will pay you everything. 
you are not paying this back what could only be made in 3,000 lifetimes. Patience is not what is required. Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. This is the person who prays the Lord's Prayer and, believe, and, and only understands that maybe I transgressed over the line or maybe today I didn't live up to God's standard and doesn't recognize the complete moral indebtedness they are in front of a holy, infinite, perfect God. We think if God is just patient with us, if he just gives us more time, we can work on ourselves, we can become better people. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. No bank is going to say to Elon Musk, oh, $800 million? Billion? Is that what he's at? What in the world? I can't even comprehend these numbers. No bank is going to say, you know what? You're released. Out of pity, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. An overwhelming debt. And a king who has compassion. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Three months' wages. Okay, it's not an insignificant amount. It's only insignificant in the fact that he has just been released from 3,000 years, lifetimes. Found one of his fellow servants who owned a hundred denarii and seizing him began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Seizing him began to choke him? saying, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, says the exact same words, exact same posture, have patience with me and I will pay you. And this man refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay back the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so remember, this is, this is in response to Peter's question. Lord, how many times will my brother sin against me and how many times must I forgive? Seven times? This economy, this moral economy that we find ourselves before a holy God, like I said before, is ridiculous. It is incomprehensible to our minds. That God has forgiven us the way that he has. That God is offering us such grace by releasing us from our debts. But then, having received that mercy from God, how dare we not offer the same to one another? Jesus is serious about that. Be careful. And notice we're not told, forgive others or else I won't forgive you. But the, the logic of this parable is that the servant has already received this forgiveness from the Father. Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, that the things others would do to us would seem much, much less. 
And those who once received grace from the Father, how could we ever justify withholding the same sort of grace from others? And so Jesus taught us that, that grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation should be an ongoing part. It should be characterizing his people. It should be an ongoing part of our corporate worship. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. This is so important. That before you would come and gather together in communal worship, that you'd be inspecting your heart, does my brother have anything against me? And that we would then walk together into God's presence, having been reconciled. This is the part of the examination we do when we come together for worship. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, which is, comes in the context of, of this idea of, of partaking in the Lord's Supper together. When we as Christians come, and we partake in the Lord's Supper. This is a recognition of the grace that we've received from the Father. The grace that we've received through Jesus Christ, but we take it together with our brothers and sisters in the church. And that's the significance of, and we've broken up these crackers before you guys came in here, but I do love it when we take the Lord's Supper in other forms where we just have one loaf, because that's, that's the point, is we have one loaf. That's why I say the words, even though the, the bread's already been broken, when I lift it up and say, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and broke it. And blessed and said, this is my body. And so some churches, and at different times in our church, will we'll actually take one loaf and like pull off of it. Reminding us that we are in one body together because of what Christ has done for us. And he tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that we are to examine ourselves. And so before we eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That, that these two things are connected even in the Lord's Prayer, right? Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins or our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. They're even connected in the Lord's Prayer, this idea of partaking of the bread, receiving forgiveness and forgiving. And so we are to examine ourselves. How do we do this examination? Do this before you come to church. Do this daily. Daily praying, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. How do we do this examination? First, pray that the Holy Spirit might search your heart, revealing things to be, sins to be confessed. And the Spirit of God is with us, probing and searching our hearts. And so sometimes you go and you pray in the morning, possibly. And you go and you pray, and you're praying the Lord's Prayer, and you say, forgive us our, our, our debts as we forgive those, as we have forgiven our debtors. And the Spirit just speaks. And you, you, you sit there and you wait and you meditate on that and you let the Spirit probe your heart. As, as David prays in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And, it, and so you can sit before the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, please reveal to me ways that I have fallen short of your standard that you've You've revealed to, to me in your word and show me where I've crossed the line of transgression. And you know what? I don't think that there's going to be very often that the Spirit won't bring something to mind. But there's another way. Use Scripture to examine and reveal sin. I, I gave you that booklet, A Simple Way to play, Pray by Martin Luther, where he talks about how to pray through the Lord's Prayer. But I only gave you half of the booklet. The second half 
I think is even better. In the second half, he says, if you have time, and you're going to take some time to sit before the Lord, here's what I would suggest you to do. He says, if I have time and opportunity to go through the Lord's Prayer, I do the same thing with the Ten Commandments. I take one part after another and free myself as much as possible from distractions in order to pray. I divide each commandment into four parts, and thereby fashion in a garland of four strands. That is, I think of each commandment as first instruction, which is what it's intended to be, and then I consider what the Lord demands of me so earnestly. Second, I turn it into thanksgiving. Third, a confession. And fourth, a prayer. This is what he does. He takes the Lord's Prayer, and he actually does this in the second part of the book. He goes through, for example, the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. So he takes time in his prayer, considering, Lord, what are you teaching me here? That you shall have no other gods, that I shall have no other gods before me. And he prays and he says, okay, you're saying you, you shall have no other gods before me. Because I earnestly consider that God expects and teaches me to trust him sincerely in all things and that it is God's most earnest purpose to be my God. I must think of him in this way. I, I must think of him in this way. My heart must not build upon anything else or trust in any other thing, be it wealth, prestige, wisdom, money piety or anything else so first he says okay god what are you teaching me and you shall have no other gods in front of me and then he thanksgiving lord i'm so thankful that you've revealed yourself to me as a good as a holy as a trustworthy god and he goes into thanksgiving and then he says i go into confession lord i have not given you the honor that is due you Lord, I have turned aside and I I have sought other gods. I've searched after wealth. I've searched after popularity. I've searched after pleasure. And he makes his confession before God. And finally, a prayer. Lord, today, I need you. I need you. By your spirit, give me the power and enlighten my eyes to see you as God. And he does this with every commandment, right? Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. What does that mean? Well, negatively, it means that I, that I should not disrespect or dishonor the name of God. Positively, it means as a Christian, I should be living up to the name of Christ. Okay, well, if that's the instruction in that commandment, what does that mean? Oh, God, I thank you for giving me Christ. I thank you for showing me the name of the Lord and showing me the character in Jesus Christ. What does that mean for my confession? Oh, Lord, I have sinned against you. I have not represented Christ in my life. And you go just down the line. A prayer. Lord, please, please today be Christ in me. My life is gone. Your Christ, your life in me. And you can take some time, take an hour, go through the Ten Commandments. And finally, as part of this moral examination, pray blessings over those who have wronged you. This is, this is how we begin to pray over the second part of the petition. See, when someone wrongs us, we generally respond in cursing them. Right? When, when somebody has offended us or hurt us or done something terrible to us, we generally, whether we say it with our words or at least in our heart, we are cursing them. We want, we want them to fall under the curse of God. 
And Jesus has taught us a different way. He says, to those who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. You may not actually be in the position to go and reconcile with your brother at that moment. But as you are praying, the least you can do, the, the, the first thing you can do is say, God, this person has hurt me. This person has robbed me. This person has, has done terrible things to dishonor me. And Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, would you bless them? Would you bless them with repentance? Would you bless them with faith? Would you bless them, Lord, to, to, to produce in them a righteousness that they did not reveal toward me when they hurt me? Would you bless them, Lord? This is a powerful way to pray. When Martin Niemöller, a German pastor, was arrested by the Nazis in World War II, he prayed daily from his prison cell for his captors. Other prisoners asked why he prayed for those who were his enemies. And I love his response. He said, do you know anyone who needs your prayers more than your enemies? He prayed for his captors. This is a prayer of a man who, even though he was sitting in a prison cell, his soul was completely freed from bondage and debt. And that is riches indeed. Heavenly Father, we, I pray just as we go and continue in our worship that your spirit would be searching hearts and minds, thoughts and intents of the heart. I pray that we might be a church that is quick to hear your voice speaking to our hearts, pointing out sin, and being quick to confess, being quick to repent, being quick to ask for your forgiveness, being quick to remain, to, to, to call upon you, seeking the joy of intimacy with you. And I pray that we might be a church quick to forgive. Lord, I know that there are brothers and sisters here struggling with unforgiveness, that are, that are struggling to forgive others. I pray, God, that we might begin to bless and continue to bless our enemies, those who've hurt us. God, I pray that we might show the world a different way by, by our love. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Renew within us a right spirit. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to move on to a time of response, a time of singing. It can also be a time of prayer. It can be a time of reflection. But take this time, and, uh, and not, only, not only prayer and reflection, but in the words and the songs that, that Dylan has chosen today, he's, he's chosen songs to set our eyes and to fix our eyes on Jesus, apart from whom we are still drowning in the debt of our sin. But because of what he has done, we have, can experience the joy of not only having our sins forgiven judicially, but the joy of intimate relationship with God our Father. And so sing out. And let the song and the words of the songs lead your heart in worship. As well, uh, while, we're, while we are singing the third song, I'll be passing out the elements of the Lord's Supper. This is, a, this is what we do as Christians each week in order to uh, reflect on and meditate, celebrate, and, 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 and to, 
to, to uplift the sacrifice that, that Jesus has made for us through his death and resurrection. So if you're here today, you're not yet a Christian, just, just help us by passing the trays along. If you haven't yet been baptized, professing your faith publicly, come and talk to me after service, and we, we, can, we can start walking down that together. Uh, but otherwise, if you're a Christian, take, and, and take through introspection, take through examination, and we'll celebrate together at the end of the service. Yeah. Uh-huh. 